Well, uh, good midday, everyone. I'm Dan Rogers from Watson, Farley, and Williams, and I am here to moderate the panel on capital markets. Um, Nicholas kindly introduced our panelists, so I don't have to actually go over that again, but just uh, very quickly, we have Christopher Pacelli here, we have Jay Kwan, and we have Larry Glassberg, and somewhere on the way here, frantically right now, is Eric Schles. But Nicholas asked us to uh, begin the panel now, you know, we have to make the trains run on time and there is a luncheon coming up. So let's just start uh, with uh, our first topic, sort of a general one, and that would be on the state of the capital markets. More specifically, are they open or are they closed for shipping and offshore purposes? Um, why don't we just work our way down? Krista, do you have any views on that? What's, uh, what's City's view? Sure. Um I'll answer that generally first, because if you take a step back and look at the U.S. equity capital markets and debt capital markets across the board, um, they have absolutely been open. Um, the S&P is trading near an all-time high. Uh, the view of the institutional investor community is that it will continue to climb higher both this year and next year and that is really being driven by a backdrop of rising corporate earnings across the board. Um, you know, we'll be talking a lot about shipping specifically on this panel. For shipping, it has been a different story. Um, this year is probably going to be on par with last year in terms of overall U.S. equity issuance being maybe around the billion dollar mark, which is the lowest year since 2009. Um, much of that has been driven by the underlying sector dynamics of each sector whether that's tanker, dry bulk, LPG, et cetera, uh, and the fact that you have many companies that are struggling with leverage and are struggling with valuations, which are straddling NAV, but many companies that are trading below NAV. So issuers in the shipping sector are avoiding coming to the market to issue equity if they don't have to. Um, we haven't seen any IPOs since 2015, and that's really a function of the environment that I talked about, and I think the general view that IPO discounts in shipping um, are still wider than other sectors. Um, that can change very quickly with the underlying segment, um, as well as having the right company to go public, and I'm sure we'll be talking about that later. Yeah, we will get to that. Jay, what's the view over DNB? Do you agree with uh, Krista's uh, overall picture, as well as the uh, picture within the industry? You know, we, we agree. I, I think, um, interestingly though, if you, if you look at what's happened over the course of, th of this year, we have seen a lot of follow-on offerings, but it's been sort of under the radar, I would say. Um, you know, there's probably about a dozen uh, capital markets transactions I can name um, within equities, but again, a lot of follow-on offerings for certainly dry bulk companies in particular, uh, and we've seen some uh, spread out into container ships as well. We've seen a lot of actually bond activity, probably more so this year. That's really where I would say that many of the, much of the focus has been. So many um, existing, you know, top-tier companies like Euronap, for example, accessing the Norwegian bond market for the first time. Uh, we're seeing um, companies like uh, MPC container ships, you know, more newly formed entities accessing the bond market. And so I think we're seeing companies starting to, uh, if, you know, take advantage of, of currently what I would say is a, is a very strong bond market. And more recently, I would say that we're starting to see companies, again, strong companies accessing uh, what it looks like to be more of a retail preferred type market as well. Um, so. You know, generally, I would say it, it's been tough. I would say that 
you know, we have seen companies accessing the market. It hasn't been a trade every two weeks, but we have seen companies um, accessing the follow-on market, and I would say it feels like right now there's, there's been more appetite and activity um, starting to open up, certainly on the retail prep market as well. Thank you. Larry, what's the view over at Maxim? Yeah, I, I think I share the same views and from a firm perspective that my colleagues have alluded to uh, on the platform this morning. Clearly, broader equity markets are, are wide open. Um, from a firm perspective, you know, we have a pretty diversified uh, group of sectors that we're covering, and I would say almost every sector outside of shipping has been active uh, close to deal volumes uh, this year. As it pertains to the shipping market, you know, clearly, I think if you look at existing public companies, um, you know, valuations are a little bit all over the map. You have a fair amount of companies that are trading below NAV, and you have companies that are trading above NAV. So you, you really don't have a clear delineation on what the right valuation is in the market today. So I think the challenge has become is companies going out and looking to raise equity. You may have companies coming out if they're trading at a premium to NAV because there's a natural arbitrage off, obviously. Uh, and then it really becomes a question is if the markets continue and you see windows, meaning will stock prices run, will companies that are trading at discounts to NAV come to more normalized, closer to NAV, will they start raising capital uh, again? And I think there will be clear, uh, clear opportunities for companies to come out and, and raise capital in those, in those type of settings. Now, I think there really is a big distinction that needs to be made today is where what, what type of capital is really chasing the market today. And I think from a shipping market perspective, there is still a lot of retail that is coming into the market. As markets started to normalize, and if you start seeing races, uh, rates uh, increase throughout the different sectors, uh, that's where you might see institutional money coming back into, uh, into the market. Thank you. Well, you know, I think you're all of the same view that things, as Cheech and Chong might have put it, are tough all over, but there is opportunity to be had within the markets generally. What factors do you think would need to come about in the shipping and offshore sectors in order to really accelerate the plays, not only on the debt side, but certainly on the equity side as well? Um, maybe, Larry, why don't you just field that one first, and we'll come back up the line. Well, you know, I think generally speaking on the equity side uh, within the shipping market today, um, I, I think obviously industry fundamentals are what's going to drive a lot of what's occurring uh, in the market and seeing more capital being raised uh, in, in the market today. Um, you know, I think there was last year, if you look, there was fits and starts within the dry bulk industry of companies going out and raise capital. Obviously, increasing rates uh, with um, scrapping is, will also increase, I think, driving the equity story today. Um, I think ultimately, though, is um, I think you need to see the broader groups, <clears throat> whether it's dry bulk or the tanker market, trading kind of in sync and trading with more volumes until you start seeing more equity come back into the market. Now, with that being said is I think the vast majority of the guys that are public today can go out and raise equity. It's just a function of are they willing to do it at where their valuations currently are today. So I think a lot of times what companies have to look at is you don't necessarily have to have a successful equity offering if you're, if you're only targeting $100 million. There's opportunities out there to go out and raise $25, 30000000 million, do it quickly under the radar, and deploy that capital in an efficient manner. So if you're able to go out and buy one or two assets at a discount to NAV or right around NAV and your market is trading is a little above uh, NAV in the public markets, that's an accretive transaction and that's what should drive stock price. So I think it really depends on company specific, but broader, broadly speaking, is the sector as, as a whole needs to trade better 
uh, for more equity issuance to come into the market, especially for the IPO market. Without that natural arbitrage where companies across the board are trading above NAV, the IPO market is going to be closed unless you have an issuer that's willing to come out at a deep discount to NAV, and that could be for more strategic reasons versus uh, having to go out and raise capital. Jay, what are the analytics at DMB show? Are there any macroeconomic factors or industry-specific factors that you think need to come about? <clears throat> yeah, I, I think right now one of the key drivers, I think, for the equity markets will be confidence, frankly, confidence that the uh, freight rate environment, whether we're talking dry bulk or tankers, et cetera, um, is either going to be strong or stabilized. Um, you know, I think one of the things that we've been seeing more recently is uh, this issuing more equity really is more in the context of an M&A deal. And so for us, I'd say that uh, as, as issuers become more comfortable and confident that they have either the proper runway or the proper uh, balance sheet in place, then when they, when they see some sort of corporate deal, such as an M&A event, I think that's when we're starting to have more discussions around capital raising and particular equity. So I'd say it's probably very much event-driven, as well as I think having um, issuers actually having some level of confidence that the, the rate environment is either stabilizing or improving. Thank you. Krista, what do you think of, of, of Jay's view that uh, things might be M&A-driven going forward? Do you agree with that? Um, I fully agree with it, and in fact, I was going to pick up on his commentary in terms of my remarks. Uh, we've heard this theme talked about by several of the earlier panels today, uh, whether it was the bank panel where uh, my colleague Michael Parker was speaking about bank financing in terms of you know what consolidation may do to the industry, um, as well as the panel just right before us in terms of talking about M&A in this sector. And in my view, I think there's kind of two levels to this. Number one, there's lots of consolidation talks happening today by companies and shareholders who see a need for consolidation to happen to facilitate an efficient exit of financial investors in the platforms that they have invested in. Um, and, you know, many people are spending time around those situations. And I think as some of those things move forward, that will certainly be a catalyst for new equity capital coming into the sector. I think, though, as we think looking forward, and whether this is next year or in the next five years, I do believe that consolidation as, as a theme is one thing that we will continue to see in the maritime sector as something that will benefit companies. So capital is becoming harder to come by, whether that's debt or equity. Larger companies have an advantage in that, both in terms of how they manage their balance sheet and how they access many kinds of capital. So you will continue to see a valuation differential for companies who are able to continue to grow using lots of different mechanisms, whether it's <coughs> asset acquisitions or company acquisitions. And so I do think that you know, both in the short term with some of the specific situations that are out there, but also in the longer term, consolidation will be a theme that drives the equity markets and shipping and, and will draw new investors in to want to back the companies that are going to be the winners over the long term due to the size and scale and their breadth. Thank you. Um, let's talk about, uh, just shifting topics a little bit, what sort of capital markets products can be accessed at this time? You know, for example, we've seen at least one ECA-backed debt issuance. Um, I know there's been a whole bunch of private placements out there. What, uh, what, what do you think is a, a winning product right now 
uh, for shipping and offshore. Krista, why don't you start with that and we'll work our way down. Sure, I think it's, it's really company and sector specific. I think when you have um, businesses and assets with long-term contracts, it opens up a whole range of financing alternatives, uh, both in the debt capital markets and in the equity capital markets. Um, you know, we are increasingly spending our time on structured private transactions. Um, and, you know, this is both in shipping and in the energy sectors broadly. Um, I'll draw some parallels to the MLP sector, right? So there's, you know, maybe a dozen listed shipping MLPs. There's over 100 listed energy midstream MLPs. And this has traditionally been a sector that has been a very heavy user of just straight common equity. But over the last couple of years, as we've seen valuations be dislocated, we've seen the emergence of private equity, infrastructure funds, structured capital coming in into private investments, uh, both into public companies uh, where there's an easy exit, but also into private companies. And so these have been structured as convertible preferreds and other types of things. So I think, you know, with some of the dislocation that you're seeing in valuation, you are seeing um, some structured capital emerge, both on the equity and the debt side, which is, is very company specific. Thank you. Um, Jay, Krista mentioned uh, a couple of things that stuck out to me. One was the you know, long-term contracts, and in particular, of course, the MLPs, which traditionally have been tied to specifically such contracts, particularly the ones that come out of the energy onshore industry, and which translated into the notion of having them backed for shipping purposes also by long-term contracts. But the markets are really volatile. Um, we see you know, occasional uh, steady increases followed by then a, a depression event that seems to take place, whether it's in tankers or whether it is in, in dry bulk. In fact, I was reading this morning in Tradewinds an article about the uh, Coke energy industries uh, fixing some long-term charters in tankers because the rates were so incredibly bad for the owners that it was perfect for the, the, the Coke brothers. So is it realistic to expect that there are really long-term contracts to back this up with? Yeah, I, I think, you know, when we think about the MLP space in particular, I mean, if you recall, the, the reason the MLPs existed were really for long-term infrastructure-type assets, midstream-type assets. And, you know, I think we had, uh, we took advantage, I think, um, uh, being able to use that structure uh, to, to, to um, you know, structure assets and shipping that have long-term contracts. Um, I'd say in general, um, at least within shipping, I would say that there are certain sectors that might um, be more open to longer-term contracts, and I'm thinking more specifically LNG, um, LNG sector potentially. But in general, I think at least what we have seen is certainly given where the rate environment is, it's very hard to see any owner, whether it's in dry bulk or tankers, actually agreeing to a very long-term charter. Um, as you said, it's, it's probably more, uh, it, it would probably be more value destructive than anything. So I'd say more, more focused, I, I think, on certain sectors where there is a longer term infrastructure type play. And I think LNG is probably the closest um, that sort of fits that bill. Uh, and I think we've seen some issuers who are looking at more longer term type projects where it's LNG, FSRU, that's probably where you typically see longer term contracts where you can either, you know, raise capital um, on the back of a long-term contract. Why exactly do you think LNG is uh, more likely to provide a long-term contract at this time? What distinguishes it? Uh, the, so I think what we're seeing is the, Eric, um, 
fundamentally, we're seeing um, more and more LNG being exported. The U.S. obviously becoming actually an exporter of LNG, and we're seeing many contra many many projects actually come online, and so that's actually led to an increase in uh, LNG exports. And so, th on the other receiving end, you're then seeing regas opportunities, and so you're seeing opportunities where you can actually go ahead and contract for a long-term supply, and also have a uh, a receiving end to go ahead and actually take that LNG, and so. That's where the, I think the, the focus in terms of long-term contracts would be. A lot of it driven by uh, increased supply and frankly the need for this uh, cheaper alternative fuel um, in, in many places. Thank you. I'm going to give Eric, who's managed to make his way here after a harrowing cab ride from somewhere in Midtown. Uh, I'm going to go over down to uh, Larry for the moment, just so you can get, to your, get your bearings, uh, Eric. But uh, Larry, what, what's the view over at Maxim? Do you agree with Jay that LNG is the place to be hunting around? You know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say LNG is just the place to, to be hunting around. I, I think a lot of the sectors provide opportunity there in the markets today. I, I think, you know, one of, the, one of the questions you would ask is what type of products are also available to companies today in terms of going out and raising capital. Um, you know, I, I think what we're seeing a lot and we're getting a lot of inbound calls is, is on the convert side uh, from investors. And I think as you're starting to see a little more volatility within the market, um, that's where you're potentially going to see a lot of uh, new capital coming in. Vol is, is critical, um, I think, as you're looking at the convert side. And if issuers are at a place where they don't feel comfortable in terms of equity issuance point of view, um, there is other opportunities where they can potentially issue. Uh, essentially uh, debt at higher levels with the ability to convert out uh, without diluting shareholders down today. Uh, additionally, you know, I think one of the, the vehicles that, that is out there to a lot of issuers in the market today is still the SPAC vehicle. Uh, and I think those are vehicles that typically when you start coming into a market and you have a view that there's going to be a, a run in valuation from an NAV perspective, that's where historically SPACs have been very successful. So the natural private to public arbitrage you get if a, if a public company is trading at 1.2, 1.3 NAV, that's where it would potentially makes sense from a SPAC market point of view because you can buy assets at around NAV or a slight discount to NAV, and that's where there's a lot of opportunity to be created. Okay, thank you. Um, Eric, I guess we'll just jump over to you since uh, you're, you're here now. Um, you know, what really do underwriters look for in terms of the, uh, I guess, the qualifications of a company that they want to work with? What, is, what are the key aspects? My guess is you've covered some of this, and I apologize for being late. Uh, size is very important, and so uh, because that leads to the liquidity of the stock. But I think that quality management, with a good track record, with a uh, with a solid governance structure that allows for transparency and for understanding of how the numbers work, and uh, a real commitment to your new your prospective new partners who are the public investors, uh, those are all things that people look for. And I, I agree with what Jay said that LNG right now is a very interesting area. And part of that is because the uh, vessels themselves to a certain degree create a barrier to entry. And so I think people also want to feel as if they're not going to be whipsawed by uh, 
<coughs> by the supply of vessels in the market. But those are, those are all things, and it's not just LNG by any means, but that is a very interesting area right now. But those are all the fundamental things that people look for. But also add a, a good board of directors is a big deal. Thank you. Krista, what are some of the fundamentals that you think are important? I agree with, with Eric's comments there. I think that you know, preparing a company to go public is a very long process in terms of both getting the company ready and going through all of the steps that are required in terms of preparing the registration statement with the SEC and preparing the company um, to educate investors on what's unique about its investment story. Because really, with any IPO, you're selling new equity uh, in a company and establishing a company in the public markets that is ready to be there for the long term. So. Um, we've always taken a long-term view in terms of is the company going public uh, for the right reasons? Do we believe that um, you know, the, the company and its shareholders have a realistic view of what it takes to go public? Um, you know, the reality is the bar is higher today in shipping. Uh, shipping is not an easy place in the capital markets um, because there are cycles. Uh, there are companies that are smaller than the average company, and the investor base changes. Um, the, the investors who sit at some of the big, long-only funds, um, the people who are there are different people than five years ago. There's different hedge funds who come in and out of the sector at different periods of time. So there's not a consistent investor base. So, I, so you really have to you know, be working with a bank that's in the market constantly to have a sense for who these investors are. But then as you think about, you know, what, what is the cost to get public? There's an IPO discount to get public. How does your company compare to the already listed public companies, right? There's, you know, a dozen plus listed tanker companies. And so if you have 10 ships that you're trying to take public, well, you're probably going to be trading at a discount to everybody else that's out there. You're not gonna go public at a premium to NAV. So I think you know, we, we want to be spending our time um, with management teams and companies that we believe have that opportunity to be there for the long term. And I think it, it's just being realistic in terms of what are the pushes and pulls in terms of value. Um, there's a valuation for everything. Um, and you know, that's why, as you hear people talk about size, the, the valuation that you will get in the public markets for a smaller company today will be lower um, than, than larger companies. And so it's evaluating that trade-off of the benefits that the public markets bring versus how you raise your capital privately. So would it be fair to say that a company looking to do an IPO would be better served by incorporating a somewhat aggressive acquisition plan, a growth plan? Would that be a, a feature that you would want to see or do you would advise someone to consider? I really think it depends. It's, it's very case specific. I think you know, public side investors are smart. They're not looking for you to be doing dilutive deals that don't make sense, that don't have industrial logic. I think certainly consolidation as a general statement is helpful, um, but you have to have the merits of the deal there. Now, I would agree. I mean, consolidation in this industry has been the holy grail for as long as I've been involved with it. And it's interesting to see some of it uh, coming online now. Um, you know, let me ask a, a, a question to you, Eric. I mean, do you think that uh, we, you, you want companies to have a consolidation, you know, motif in them at some point? That's interesting. I think that consolidation is something that is effectively being forced on companies because 
the capital that has, those who are coming to the public markets very frequently are those who have relied on other, on third party capital. And the way to get out, as, as Krista mentioned, smaller companies are going to have a hard time. And, and the real reason is that the stocks are so illiquid. And if the stocks are illiquid, you're going to pay a price for it. And that price will be a discount. And so you get into this downward spiral of pricing. And the way to, to get out of that, at least in theory, is to have sufficient liquidity in your stock that when an, a portfolio manager makes an investment decision, he or she can execute on that investment decision in a reasonable time. That forces you back into larger transactions. Uh, larger transactions frequently mean consolidation, and consolidation is tough in this business because the public market has often been viewed as the place where the heavy lifting capital comes from and, and the management company sort of sits to the side. That, that makes it more difficult to, to do M&A, but M&A is going to be forced by the people who have backed those companies because they need an exit. So that's kind of a long-winded way of saying that I think consolidation is important in this market and, it's, and not everybody is thrilled about it, but it, it is a necessity, I think. Jay, I see you nodding your head, presumably in agreement. Uh, I take it that would also be your view, and I think maybe you could also address the management company factor. Yeah, listen, I think everything that Eric and Krista said is, uh, is absolutely right. The, I think the one thing we are seeing, though, is we are actually seeing M&A deals getting done. Um, we, are seeing, um, we are seeing, I think, an increased uh, willingness to negotiate. I think these are all positive things, and like Eric said, the reality is that um, I think for us to start seeing IPOs of more shipping companies, we're going to see companies actually get bigger and have real scale and provide real liquidity. And I think the way that happens is, frankly, through the through the consolidation discussion we've been having. So um, I would love to see uh, a time, you know, when we were able to take a company with five, six, ten ships public, but unfortunately, we just don't see that. At least I don't see that happening anytime soon. I think those are probably more suited for private placement type trades. But if we're talking about a traditional U.S. IPO, I, I think it's, you know, that's going to be hard to see anytime in the near future. So that's why I think more and more owners are looking at consolidation as a means to try to become public through, whether it's through a reverse merger or through uh, ways to get shares in a public company. And that's, that's frankly, I think, um, been more focus as of late. What about using private placements as a means of bulking up on the way to an IPO? Is that a strategy that one could adopt? We, we've seen that, and we've seen that done successfully, I think, more in the uh, Norwegian markets as opposed to U.S. markets. So we have seen um, companies successfully raise money um, in a private placement uh, market and then uh, list the business um, in Norway. And so we have seen that. Uh, we've seen several um, success stories um, in, that, in that area. But again, I would say that that's, it's not a, um, you know, it's, it's company specific and, and also dependent on sort of which industry that investors are focused on at the time. But uh, I'd say in general, you know, that's available for a handful of names, which we've seen happen successfully. I think, right. I think, Daniel, if I may, I, I would just say that if you think about the 
the sequence of it, uh, that the private placement is obviously even less liquid than the, than the public stock. And so if the small public stock has a discount that's associated with it, one would normally think that the discount associated with the private placement could be even greater. So that, that's a little bit of the challenge that you face in, in a private placement. You know, one, one of the things I will say is, and, you know, from our perspective at the, at the maximum front, um, we, we play in different, let's call it market caps, than I would say the cities of the world. Um, our view is a little bit different. We, we do think that there is the opportunity for smaller issuers to go public. We don't think there's necessarily has to be a hundred to two hundred million dollar capital raise to get public. Yes, there are distinct valuation differences from smaller companies to, to bigger companies. But when you're in an environment when companies are trading above NAV, if you're 1.2 as a ship uh, as a smaller shipping company versus 1.3 or 1.4 as a bigger shipping company, it still begs the the, the rationale of why you should be public. So. The ability to go out and do a smaller IPO, you know, and I think when the market starts to normalize and you start seeing companies trading above NAV, you will see assets or owners coming out with eight to ten assets doing 50, 40, 70 million dollar IPOs with the notion of raising tranche capital makes sense. So you don't necessarily have to chase the bigger deal for the sake of bigger deals. I think you need to partner with the right type of firm that has the pockets of capital to raise the efficient dollars for you so that as the markets normalize, you can continually raise money above NAV uh, and grow your fleet. So I think it really depends on kind of where you are in the cycles in the market. And you've seen small companies be successful, and you've also seen large companies be successful and vice versa. So I really think it depends on where you are in the cycle in the market. And clearly from our point of view is if the market starts to, you know, become healthier, you will see smaller IPOs coming out, not just the mega IPOs. Well, that sort of leads me to the last question. We have a speed round now. We've got about 30 seconds left. And we'll just start down there with Larry. Um, what is your expectation for um, volume in the IPO market over the next 18 to 24 months? Kind of flip a quarter, you know, up in the air. You know, I think, I, I think coming into the beginning of next year, and it really is going to be driven by fundamentals. If you, if you see scrapping and you see increased rates uh, and you see a natural arbitrage occurring, you might see issuers coming uh, public again, whether it's through a SPAC, whether it's through a direct IPO, whether it's through other reverse mergers or consolidation. There's different forms of companies potentially getting public uh, in the market. Thank you. Krista, what's the view at City? What's the next 18 to 24 months going to hold in your, if I can put it this way, crystal ball? Um, yes, we will see shipping IPOs reemerge in that period. Okay. Eric? Yeah, I think uh, I think that's right. I think that I think that they will emerge. I think it's going to be, uh, you know, we all hope that we get to the point where where shipping companies are trading at 1.4 times NAV because that'll mean we're all very busy doing this. And finally, Jay, what's the uh, last word from DNB? No, I I think the group has covered it. I <clears throat> we're actually quite positive um, when it comes to. Uh, when we think about the capital markets, I, I suspect we're going to see more uh, follow-on offerings, and we feel very good about that market over the next uh, 6 to 12 months. Uh, we are hoping for a big IPO, and I think there are several candidates that are sizable enough who can, who can do that when the market is open. Thank you very much. Anybody have any last words they'd like to throw out, or shall we let our friends eat lunch? I guess we're going to go to lunch. Thank you very much. Thank you.